when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Today, we're talking about the three mistakes that most of you are making in opening. I shouldn't say most of you, maybe some of you are making. But anyways, these are the three mistakes that I see all the time as I help prepare people for opening statement. So there are a common couple of things, well, three, which, which I just said. Let's start with the first one, which is most opening statements are too long. Ugh, I cannot tell you how annoying it is for jurors to have to sit through an incredibly long opening statement. Now, what I want to remind you of here is that opening should not give jurors the complete and full picture. It should be a tease, a trailer. It should leave them wanting more at the end. That is how we keep them engaged through trial. And so when you give them absolutely every last detail in opening, you risk boring them to death and having them tune out. So, you know, when I have trial attorneys, for example, come through the studio, the opening statement studio, they are allowed 20 minutes in front of the jury. And I say to them, all right, give me 20 minutes, prepare a 20 minute opening uh, before you get here. And then we'll work on how to, how to perform it in front of the jury. And almost always I'll have attorneys say, you mean the first 20 minutes? And I said, no, a 20 minute opening. Now, I'm not saying that every opening should be 20 minutes. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if you can't get your information across in 20 minutes, or if you only had 20 minutes, you'd make do, right? That would really force you to talk about what's absolutely important. And that's what we're after in the studio classes is to really get to the meat of it. I always believe you should start small and then add because you'll find in many cases that you don't need half the shit you were planning on putting in there when you start with a shorter opening and then elongate it over time. So remember, this is a preview of the evidence. This is not you arguing your case. This is not doing any of those uh, things that you think that you should be doing an opening. This is just getting jurors engaged and giving them enough information so they stay engaged and that they have a sense of what's going to be happening over the course of trial. Now, yes, it's very important because as you've heard me probably talk about before, and this is in my book, the idea that the most stickiest openings are the ones that are shorter. And if you think about this, this is your one chance to hum the tune, so to speak, for jurors of the song that they're going to be hearing throughout trial. But here's the problem. The song they're going to hear is going to be sung out of tune by different singers <laughs> and phrases all over the place, meaning you're not the person performing the song over trial. That comes out of the mouths of witnesses. So the opening is the one chance that you have to really hum the tune, so to speak, for jurors so they get what it sounds like. So as they hear the various pieces done over trial, they can kind of fit it into that original narrative. Now, 
It's much easier to hum a short tune. Think of It's a Small World (laughs) from Disneyland. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, small world. Very easy, right? But now let me hum you the tune of a Wagner opera. No, I'm not going to do that because I don't like Wagner operas. But that would be so hard for jurors to remember. In fact, I don't even I couldn't even do it if, if I attempted to do that now. But most of your openings are like Wagnerian operas. You got to stop that shit. You've got to make it so simple and, and short that it is sticky so that they are humming that tune all the way into the verdict room. And length alone has one major uh, way, is, is one major way of causing jurors to shut down and stop listening because it's just too damn long. Which really brings us to the second piece, which is not only are they too long, in many cases, your openings are way too complex. So complex is a little different than length. They often go together. But when I say complex, I mean things like, you know, hundreds of thousands of visuals. Okay, maybe not hundreds of thousands, but sometimes hundreds of visuals. So way too many visuals uh, out of order. So when you're telling the story, you're jumping back and forth in time. That's very hard for jurors to follow an opening like that. Uh, You're using medical terms that the jurors don't understand or have never heard of. And what you have to realize, and I said this in the last episode, is that when you do that, when you throw out terms they don't understand, they get confused. And when they get confused, they'll shut down. So you've got to be really clear about those terms and not make your opening so complex that it's hard to follow. Other things that your guys are doing to make it complex, you know, using doctor names. Okay, so then Dr. Smith said this, and then Dr. James said this, and then Dr. Davis said this. And I'm using easy names. Most doctors' names are not that easy. So using lots of names, using lots of dates, telling jurors all the various appointments that they went through. You guys, this is too much information. Jurors can't possibly remember it all, nor is it that important in opening. I mean, isn't it much easier to say on January 5th, you know, the plaintiff or the name, whatever you're using, went to go see the physical therapist who told him, you know, you need about two weeks of physical therapy. After those two weeks, he then went and saw his primary care doctor. Notice I've taken out dates. I've said after two weeks instead of on June, whatever, 19th. I've taken out doctor's names, much easier to follow and much less complex because when your opening is too long, you know, jurors get bored. And when your opening is too complex, jurors get confused and you don't want either of those things to happen. Okay. So we don't want them bored and we don't want them confused. And the third mistake that you are making an opening statement is that the opening is too legal. And what I mean by that is the the actual legalese that you guys use. And it's not even legalese. It's it's using language that jurors don't use. I mean, vehicle is a great one. You know, jurors don't drive vehicles. They drive cars. They don't even drive automobiles. I mean, when's the last time you went to an automobile wash? You know, the Beatles didn't sing, baby, you can drive my vehicle. It's cars. Jurors drive cars. And so we have to talk like the jurors talk, or we separate ourselves from them. There's a lot of talk out there about going off code and not being lawyer guy or lawyer gal. Well, 
When you use language that is totally used in your world, but not in jurors' world, you non-verbally send the message that I am a lawyer because you talk about the occupant of the vehicle was then removed from the scene of the incident. Nobody talks like that. Well, I mean, maybe lawyers do, but jurors don't. And when your opening is too legal, jurors just tune out. They do not care. It, it is not a way when we're talking about opening is, is supposed to inform and inspire to inspire your jurors. It just puts a wall between you and them. So what I'm going to tell you to do instead is to keep your opening short, simple, and sane. <laughs> so instead of being too long, too complex, and too legal, let's let's talk about how to make it a little shorter. You know, my template is nine parts. I've obviously borrowed it, uh, borrowed very heavily from David Ball's template. But when you when you're talking about my template, or when I'm talking about my template, there's really only three things you're doing in opening. Outside of the opening hook, which is to get and maintain the juror's attention, you are really either teaching the jury storytelling, or dealing with resistance. So for example, when you start out your opening, you're going to teach the jury about whatever it is you're going to be talking about in the story when the defendant's conduct comes up. And so you're going to give them some context. You're going to teach about heart surgery. You're going to teach about, you know, safety rules on the road. You're going to teach about, you know, how um, companies have to test their products before they put them out to market and why that's important, so on and so forth. You're teaching there, but you're also teaching when you get into the damages, the causation and damages section, or what I call the... um, cause and effect section. So there you'll talk about how the injury happened or how the death happened. And you'll walk the jurors through the mechanism of injury. And you'll talk about how that affects the body. And you'll, you'll give all of that stuff there, your teacher there. Outside of teaching, you're telling stories. There's really two stories you tell in opening. You tell the story of the defendant's conduct. That's at the beginning. That's the liability story. And then you tell the story about the plaintiff, how, they, how they're affected by this and what they were like before. That's the plaintiff's story. And so that's where you become storyteller. And then you deal with resistance two times in the opening. You deal with the resistance when after you're told the teaching section and the story, you talk about all your yeah buts, meaning you know, all the things that the defendant is going to say when they get up and, oh, what the plaintiff didn't tell you was so and so forth. This is, you know, the undermining section in David Ball's. I call it the challenges section. So any challenges to your case, that's what you're deal with that. But you also have to deal with resistance at the end of opening when you talk about how money can help. Because even if jurors are with you 100% till that point, if you can't convince them that money is going to actually help or fix or make up for, to use David Ball's words, um, they're still not going to give you money. So, but even though that's nine parts, because you have the hook repeated three times, you're really only doing three things. You're constantly moving in or out of teaching, storytelling, or dealing with resistance. And that's how simple it should feel to jurors as well, that they're being informed, that they're being inspired by the story, or that you are putting some of their fears to rest. That's what you're constantly moving in and out of in opening, and it should feel that simple. All right. Before I go to actually, um, I'm sorry, should be that short. Before I go to simple though, well, actually let's go to simple because simple is avoiding all of the things that I set up in the complex situation. part. So you're avoiding using millions and millions of visuals. Because what happens when you do that? When you have hundreds of visuals, what you are communicating non-verbally to the jury is, this case is so complex. It's going to take me hundreds of 
visuals to explain it to you. That is not the message that you want to send your jury. It just isn't. So get really savvy with your visual communication so that you don't inadvertently send this message that this is, case is super complex. And you might be saying, well, sorry, my case really is super complex. Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, yes, there are cases that have lots of players and moving parts, but I have never had a case come through my office that was so complex that it necessitated hundreds of visuals, not a single case. And I've had big cases in my office. So that's one way to reduce the complexity. You can also reduce the complexity by telling your story in order. Figure out where things started. If it's 30 years, you know, when the factory opened before the incident, start there. It doesn't mean you have to tell me 30 years of detail. You don't have to fill all that in. But if you find yourself going back in time, stop that shit. Start where the story starts and then move it forward as you need to. But that's much easier for jurors to understand and follow than jumping back and forth in time. Get rid or define the medical terms. Um, and sometimes what I'll have attorneys do is I'll say, and so he experienced a quote unquote medical term. And what that really just means is slip disc or whatever it might be. The, the, use the normal juror language at that point. Uh, you can get rid of doctor names, like I suggested. Just say the physical therapist, the primary care doctor. They're not going to remember people. It's not until you're Going through trial that they'll actually meet the people or see the deposition testimony, whatever it may be, you don't need the names and opening. And for God's sake, don't make your jurors do math. So if it's 40 feet, somebody fell, say four stories. If it's January 5th to January 19th, say two weeks. Make it easy on jurors. Make it simple. So you want that short uh, as short as you can get away with. And sometimes as short as you can get away with is two hours. I'm not saying a two-hour opening is never uh, something you should do, but if it's, it, it's, you make it as short as possible, make it simple by getting rid of all that complex stuff and make it sane. Talk like the jurors. Don't talk like a lawyer. Use the terms that they use. Because when you make things short, simple, and sane, what you do is you help inform jurors, which make them feel smart, and you inspire them to come alongside and eventually take action for you and your client. The content is just one vehicle here. All the body language stuff that you're going to be doing in opening is really what's going to inspire the jurors, but the content shouldn't get in the way. And it often does. It it just drags you down. You don't need the long openings you think you do. You don't need the complex openings. I've seen so many cases, one, with the most simple openings because jurors just feel when you are clearly communicating something simply that it is that simple. It's like you're non-verbally communicating, look, this is just common sense, people, of what happened here. When you add details, dates, complexity, length, what you're saying is this is so confusing and it's, you're really going to have to sift through all of this to finally figure the truth. That's not the message you want to send jurors. So avoid, avoid, avoid. We don't want a long, complex legal opening. We want one that's short, simple, and sane. All right, guys, talk to you next week. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. 
We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.